The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Good morning, Tucson, and welcome to the Jeff Dean Show. I am Jeff Dean here with you on this Friday. It's a football Friday, as it is, well, it's football day every day, but football Friday is wonderfully uh, alliterative, and I am a big fan of alliteration. But regardless, it is 7.03 on this June the 10th, 2022, and you're listening here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson, and we are Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. So glad to be here with you on a, a full week. <laughs> it seems like each week we've had some kind of a snafu, whether it's me getting hit over the head with a 50-pound window or Internet issues and things like that. So fingers crossed that we can get through these next two hours without any issue. And then it's the weekend, baby. So hopefully you guys are uh, ready for your weekend and, and ready to have a, a great day today. And hopefully we can get that thing started with a little sports talks and some news and some entertainment, some opinions for you, which we do here every single day. We also have some tickets to be given away, our final day of giving you tickets to go see the D-backs and the Twins on Saturday, June 18th. We do have another pair of those to give away today. At some point in time, we will give you that cue to call. Uh, at that point in time, you'll, you'll be you know calling, and then I'll call out which caller number is going to be the winner. And uh, if you're lucky enough, you can win those tickets to go see the D-backs and the Twins on Saturday, June 18th. Again, that's anywhere between now and 8.58 a.m. today. So be listening for that. Lots of, like a smattering of different things to get into today. Not a whole lot of huge topics to get into. You know, we had that long discussion yesterday, uh, and it continued on Twitter and things like that after the show. And always great to uh, to hear from the listeners and the and the, uh, the Wildcat fans on their opinions. I always appreciate that. We have uh, a lot of somewhat smaller type of topics today. I do have a topic that I may get into. I don't know you know how long it's going to go but uh, it's a college football topic and I thought it was uh, kind of interesting as a, a list was put out yesterday that I thought was was rather interesting and, and uh, University of Arizona football is on that list so we may get into uh, some of that a little bit later on as well we'll talk some men's basketball there's a lot going on right now for U of A men's basketball we'll talk about that um, the NCAA has set a new disciplinary action for flopping We'll talk about that. Uh, NHL Stanley Cup playoffs last night as the Tampa Bay Lightning, the defending champs, who were down 2-0 in that series, have now wrestled back control of the series. They get two goals in the final two minutes of the game of a 1-1 tie, win that game 3-1, and now have a 3-2 lead heading back home for game six tomorrow. Could this be the end of the Blue Shirts in this year's Stanley Cup finals, How or Stanley Cup playoffs? However, the New York Rangers... So far this postseason are 5-0 and in games that involve an elimination, which is incredible to think about. So they are facing an elimination game tomorrow. We'll see if they can go to 6-0 and and force a Game 7 back in New York. That would be incredibly exciting, and I think uh, everyone would be looking forward to something like that. There was a play yesterday, a decision made by a manager in Major League Baseball that I definitely want to talk about as uh, the White Sox lose 
to the Dodgers in the uh, in a game, eleven to nine, a high scoring game, and uh, a a a decision was made by Tony Larusa, the manager of the Chicago White Sox, that has a lot of people confounded. And then when he took to the podium yesterday for his press conference, he said it really wasn't much of a decision at all to make. It was a really easy decision to make. So we'll talk about that. Was it really an easy decision for him to make? LeBron James has come out and said that uh, he would like to buy an NBA team. And then when asked where that NBA team would be playing, he said Las Vegas. We'll talk about the opportunities that he may have very shortly, in in the very near future, to buy an NBA team and put it in Las Vegas. Uh, We, of course, have some NFL news and notes. A lot of Cardinals stuff to talk about, actually. uh, A lot of things happening at Cardinal camp yesterday. Uh, another wide receiver got paid in the NFL yesterday, and a uh, a joke that was purely meant as a joke by Cliff Kingsbury was taken out of context by a lot of the media, specifically the very soft and, uh, I guess, stuffy media in Los Angeles, and they're a little upset about something that Cliff Kingsbury had to say about a couple of their beloved players over there in the uh, in the Rams. And then, as I mentioned, there was a, a list – Put out yesterday. It, look, it's just it's just a you know a silly Twitter list and this uh, this uh, Twitter site, Big Game Boomer. They are are putting out all these lists and stuff, and it's causing a lot of of discussion just on you know on the on the uh, the uh, the Twitter boards and things like that. But this one kind of drew my interest because I think it's 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 certainly a topic that I've talked about and I, I've something that I've discussed with friends and fans and things like that. People who are really in tune with with college football as well, such as coaches and administrators. And that is, what are the top 25 most difficult head coaching jobs in college football? And the University of Arizona showed up on this list. So we'll probably get into a little bit of that, talk about that, and see what what you guys think about that. And certainly, you'll know what I think about that. So, But let's begin on campus, as a lot of things going on with University of Arizona basketball, first things first, Tommy Lloyd gets a new player, not a new contract. We'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> he gets a new player as we're waiting to hear the word of specifically two players. We're still waiting to hear on a couple more, but these two players were kind of really coming down to their final decisions, had, had narrowed it down. We're going to be making a decision within the next couple of days, one of them being Cedric Henderson, Jr., who announced yesterday that he would commit his transfer to the University of Arizona. Now, he is a 6'6 guard who's played the last three years at Campbell University, which is in North Carolina. So I went diving into Campbell basketball. And, look, you know, his numbers, is, is, you know, people look at his numbers and like, well, you know, he only averaged, you know, what, 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 did, he, what did he average last year? He averaged, uh, uh, where was it? I just had it right here, <laughs> 14 points a game. He averaged 14 points a game, uh, averaged uh, five and a half rebounds, one and a half assists for the Fighting Camels of Campbell University, and you know his his statistics stayed pretty consistent over his three years at Campbell. Um, he had a, a, a dip in offensive and shooting percentage last year. He only shot 27 percent. I'm sorry, two years ago, 27 percent two years ago from three, but brought that back up to 38 percent last season after shooting 45 percent in his first year at Campbell from beyond the arc. Uh, I tend to think he's probably somewhere between that. He's probably closer to like a 39 or a 40 percent three point shooter, which is 
good enough, uh, you know, w- you know, they'll take it. Wildcats take it uh, for sure. He's also a nearly 60% two-point shooter, which tells you that he gets close to the rim a lot or – uh, you know, because I, I have not seen him play, to be honest with you. I have not watched Campbell basketball in the last three years. Um, but either he's, you know, a guy that's good at, at slashing and getting buckets or he's got a real nice mid-range jumper. So I went diving into what, to look at some uh, Campbell basketball. I did not watch them play, as I mentioned. I just went to the go-to site for analyzing a particular college basketball team, which is KenPom.com, and I found that this young man is Cedric Cedric Henderson is essentially going to be going from the bus bench to the Autobahn this season with Arizona. Campbell, last year, was 345th in the country in tempo. Now, uh, 351 teams, they were 345th in tempo. They played games last year that had finals of 48 to 45. Finals. (laughs) Meanwhile... As we all know, Arizona's adjusted tempo last year had gone all the way up to fourth in the country in tempo. So he is going to be experiencing a very different lifestyle on the court under Tommy Lloyd than he was under his coach or coaches at Campbell. Because for the last three years, that's the way Campbell basketball has been played, at least while he's been there. They've been a small team. They are a full court press team. I looked at uh, at some of their uh, some of their metrics. They were playing full court defense about seventy eight percent of the time at Campbell last year. So they were a full extension, ninety three feet of defense type of team, which you know takes a lot out of you because you're you're extending you're essentially expending all of your energy on defense. Playing ninety three feet, uh, he was asked to play uh, those you know the, the full court a full court press a lot of the time. Uh, certainly, a lot of the percentage of time that he was on the floor, based on the metrics there, he's also a, he was the starting four for Campbell. That tells you how small they were last year at, at six foot six and you know two hundred and two hundred and twenty five pounds or whatever he is. He was their starting power forward. So that'll tell you just how small they were. And really, I, you know, I think you know it speaks a lot to you know the type of shot selection that he was getting, um, you know, for that team. So I, I almost. I almost want to just throw his statistics out. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm no longer interested in what his scoring average was at Campbell last year. Shooting percentage, it is what it is, right? We, we, we you know, you can you can take from that, uh, you know, pr- pretty much, you know, you, you know, you put up a shot, and it goes in or it doesn't. There's really no variable to that, and depending on what kind of shots he's getting and things like that. But nonetheless. I, you know, you almost just kind of want to just throw them out the window and then just see what you get. This reminds me a lot, and, and, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this without comparing the two players, but this reminds me a lot of the same situation with Kim Aiken last year where he came in as a defensive player, a smaller player who played a big position at the school that he was at because the school he was at was an undersized school. So Kim Aiken in his time at uh, at, at uh, 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 Seattle was, you know, he played power forward at six foot seven and showed up and was actually a really good three-point shooter for Arizona early before uh, everything kind of fell apart and he had to leave the program. This, you know, Cedric Henderson may be the same, you know, the same type of situation, played in a defensive-minded situation for a coach who wants to slow everything down and grind the games out and go to a full-court press and great turnovers on inbounds plays and things like that, 
where he's going to be going now to a team that tries to score 100 on you every single night. So this is going to be a little bit of a culture shock for him, but I'm sure it's a welcome culture shock as most players want to get up and down with the basketball and play some offense and have fun and hoop. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to, uh, to bring this young man in, and I think he'll be a, a good addition to the team. Now, the Wildcats are still waiting to hear about Texas guard Courtney Ramey. He is still waiting to decide between Arizona and West Virginia based on some of the, you know, some of the crystal balls out there that are being, you know, said about, you know, or made by the, uh, uh, by some of the experts and such that he is likely to choose Arizona within the next three or four days and that, that Arizona is going to be his choice. You know, Ramey is a guy, a Texas guard who has started a lot of games in the in the in the, uh, in the Big 12 for Texas and is considered to have m- maybe the highest floor of any player in the transfer portal this year. Like he's already proven himself like there's he doesn't he doesn't have a you know a question mark essentially. It's like you're, you you know exactly what you're going to get with Courtney Ramey. He's already established himself that way. May not have the highest ceiling of the players that were available in this year's transfer portal. But according to some of the experts that he did have the highest floor, one of the highest floors of all the players in this, in this transfer portal. So adding him would certainly be a nice boost to that backcourt as well. And then it would be up to the, you know, up to the program to find that last scholarship player, because then they would put them at, they would put them at 11. If Courtney Ramey does decide to commit in the next couple of days here, which I expect he will, um, and you know, they, they probably will go out and need, you know, get to need a big, another four, maybe another five to you know, make sure that the rotation is kind of rounded out, and that will give you your 12 Scully players, and you're ready to go for the 2022-23 season, a season that I think will be very good for the Wildcats. I was just having a conversation with someone last night, a, a diehard, lifelong Wildcat fan has been season ticket holder for many years, and um, you know, he said, he said, do you think we'll be – you know, do you think we'll be outside the top 25 to start the season ranking? And, I, you know, I told him the same thing that I tell everybody in regards to preseason rankings. And I can't use the exact language that I said to him last night, but essentially I don't care whether Arizona is a preseason top 25 team or not. What I care about is how many championships and how many trophies you can bring home from all of the places that you go and visit and all the places that you see throughout the season by the end of the year. Do you bring home a Pac-12 regular season title? Check. Do you bring home a Pac-12 tournament title? Check. Do you bring home an NCAA tournament title? Still waiting on the check mark on that one. We do have one check from 1997, of course. Still waiting on another check. So are 350 other teams that didn't get that check mark last year. So, you know, those are the things that are important to me. I don't, I, I honestly, I, re, I could not care less about preseason rankings. I get asked about it all the time. <laughs> like, I wish I could wear a sign around my, like, around my neck that says, please don't ask me about preseason rankings. They're BS. I, I, it's just like, I, I, get, I think that's the question that I get asked more than anybody. And it's, it's amazing to me how, I guess, and listen, I, I, I guess I understand the infatuation with a preseason ranking. You want to know what other people feel about your team. There's always that, that stigma amongst sports fans. Like, what, is it, what does everybody else think about my team? Does everybody else think my team is good? 
because I think my team is really good. Do, they, do other people think my team is good too? Because if other people think my team is good, then my team's going to be good. It doesn't always work out that way. I mean, yes, if you're the number one team in the country preseason, obviously your team is going to be pretty good. But as we've seen many, many times, and Arizona's team last year is a perfect example. Uh, you know, I was asked so many times, like, well, what do you think this team should be ranked in the preseason? I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> like, I really don't. Are they good enough to be a top 25 team? Yes, I do think they're one of the 25 best teams in college basketball. Where they're ranked doesn't matter to me whatsoever, and it shouldn't matter to anybody else either because, if anything, in college basketball, the rankings mean so little, so little that, uh, you know, we, we really shouldn't even be worrying about it. But nonetheless, people do want to know what other people, experts, so-and-so, you know, so, so, you know so-called experts think about their team. So I, I get it. I just wish I wish people would just ignore preseason rankings so they would eventually go away because they're stupid and they're ridiculous and they're pointless. And that's my opinion on that. <laughs> I, I know sometimes you don't know where I'm coming from in a particular opinion and how I feel about something, but that one I'd, I'd like to make perfectly clear. The Arizona Board of Regents approved a pay raise for Tommy Lloyd. This is something that's been coming down the pike for quite some time. Um, it was it was made public about a week ago. This was something that's being that's been worked on by Dave Hickey for several weeks, several weeks, and I mean like probably closer to two months. He's been working on this uh, this raise for Tommy. He needed to get through the fiscal year, find out what the budget was. But I think all along, I think, you know, honestly, if you were if you were to just, you know, ask Dave off the record, uh, at what point during the regular season did you realize you're going to have to try to find money to pay Tommy Lloyd? <laughs> he probably would have said probably somewhere around February he was starting to like, okay, this isn't going away. We're beating teams by 30 in conference. I, I, we have to find – we're going to have to start finding some money <laughs> because we got locked this dude up. And, 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 you know, he would be right in that assessment to do so. And finally, the Arizona Board of Regents, after uh, hemming and hawing over this thing for, you know, four or five days and finally coming down to the discussion of whether or not they were going to approve it, approved it unanimously. So the the uh, revised contract now for Lloyd is basically going to give him a, a $1 million raise with a total school paid compensation of – it's got an escalator clause in it. So there's like, it's $3.6 million next year, then 3.7, then 3.8, then 4.0, then 4.1. And if the NCAA hands a sanction down that keeps Arizona from playing in a postseason or gives them some type of a scholarship restriction for a season, then his contract will automatically be extended to a sixth year at $4.2 million. Now, the interesting thing about this one, now there's, there's other things in it too. At the end of the contract, there's a $4 million payout, just a $4 million lump sum. They're going to drop a, a bag of money off at his front door and say, here's your Nike and IMG money also, by the way, because that money's going to need to be accrued uh, you know, over, you know, over the next you know, five years or whatever. But he basically gets that bag at the end of the, at the, end of the contract, which will be nice. You know, it's a nice, nice little chunk payout there at the end. The interesting thing about this one is – his buyout clause, which 
when they when they inked the contract last year, his buyout clause was five million dollars, which is nothing in the grand scheme of things of college sports, big time college sports. Five million dollars is nothing. Tommy agreed to sign a contract after getting the raise that says his buyout is now twelve million dollars. That's a lot of money. That like the difference between five and twelve million dollars is a very very large amount, larger than just the seven million dollar difference that you can see. That's that's an exorbitant amount to pay in a buyout for a coach in college basketball, college football. You, you've seen you've seen upwards of twenty million dollar buyouts being made by you know big schools, Florida and you know uh, you know Texas and you know big big money money schools like that that are paying big buyouts and they you know they don't mind they just they just you know refill the coffers the next day. But for you know for basketball, twelve million dollars on a buyout is a ton of money because with this money, you know Tommy's going to be making. Four million dollars essentially a year by the time it's you know by the time it reaches its maturity and that's you know the average uh, you know by the time it's done it'll be about his average salary. That's going to make him really really close to one of the top paid coaches in the entire country, like just just outside uh, the top ten, I believe. So this is you know this is good for uh, for Arizona. It's great for Tommy, and I think one of the things that it speaks about in regards to the $12 million buyout is that coach Tommy Lloyd is committed to staying at Arizona. And, and, you know, when he, when he said that he told, you know, people close to him that there were two jobs that he would leave his assistant job at Gonzaga for one of them was the Gonzaga job. The other was the Arizona job. I don't believe that that was lip service. I mean, and you hear coaches say this all the time and then, you know, they show up and they act a fool at the new place or whatever and then they end up leaving for whatever reason. Tommy has put his name on the line and has said, look, I'm, I'm committed to what I said. I didn't want to leave Gonzaga for any other job other than Arizona. And now I'm proving that by saying I'm going to sign a $12 million buyout clause that is basically going to keep the dogs away for the next five, six years. It'll keep everybody away unless some ridiculous something happens and some booster comes up with $12 million to give Arizona to, ha- to have his school lure Tommy Lloyd away, which I, I can't see it happening. That is so much money for college basketball. If you, you know, if you really knew how much college basketball generates for a school, you would know that $12 million is a ridiculous amount to spend on just a buyout, even before you pay the coach. And maybe pay the other coach to go away that you already have. So it's, it's a lot of money. And it basically is going to keep Tommy Lloyd here as the Arizona Wildcat head coach for the next five plus, you know, six, potentially even more, hopefully more years. So glad to see that. We're going to take a timeout. More Wildcat basketball talk and some college basketball talk after this right here on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show. Don't forget, get those D-backs tickets still hanging around out there. Be listening for you to call. It could happen at any moment as uh, we get ready to, uh, uh, to send you off to Phoenix to watch the Diamondbacks and the Twins next Saturday, June, uh, June 18th. So be ready and listening for your cue to call for that. 
Uh, a couple more things of Wildcat news. Got a, uh, an email yesterday that was exciting. It was fun to, fun to read. And that the Arizona men's basketball program had earned a 3.14 grade point average during the spring semester, which set another team GPA record, second straight semester, that they've set the, uh, the GPA record for the program once again. This time it was 12 players with a, with a GPA of 3.0 or greater, eight that were a 3.5 or greater, and one 4.0. Now, some people are saying it was Kerr. Uh, I think it's Pella Larson personally. I don't, you know, not that it really matters, but I, uh, I it's it's nice to see when you have uh, not only you know great athletes and stuff, but your kids that are dedicated to going to class and uh, doing their thing, doing their their responsibilities as a student. And I'm not going to lie, a lot of it has to do with the fact that they're Euros, and there's just a different there's a different onus, a different uh, uh, you know, I, I guess. Um, hierarchy in you know where you place academics and athletics and things like that like in 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 your on the on the list of priorities for for european players often academics is equal to athletics just because of the european influence and their upbringing and you know things like that it's just it's different than here in the united states you know a lot of student athletes here put academics like fifth or even lower sometimes on their on their academic list of uh, on their list of of priorities. But um, so proud of the uh, of the Wildcat basketball program. That's it's always great to have uh, you know student like real genuine student athletes on campus and doing their thing on the court as well. Also, a little bit of pride here as it was announced that former Arizona forward Keanu Pinder, who uh, many of you will remember for his time here at uh, at Arizona, played in. Uh, 2016 and 2017 for uh, Sean Miller and the Cats, is going to be making an appearance on Australia's national team coming up in the uh, in the upcoming World Cup qualifying games in Australia. He was one of 12 players named to Australia's Boomers, what they call their senior team, the Boomers. Um, they'll be taking on China, Chinese Taipei, and Japan in games at the end of the month and into early July. I, you know, I don't know if... I probably shouldn't say anything about it, but I'll, I'll kind of intimate, uh, you know, some things about Keanu Pinder. Look, Keanu has had a, a, a rough upbringing. Uh, he, he had a rough life as a young man. And there were opportunities for him to use that as a crutch or to let it influence him in the way that he, you know, continued his life after college. And I couldn't be happier to see this news that he is – still performing and performing at a high level. He shot 55% from the field last year, averaged 11 points and seven and a half rebounds a game uh, for the team that he was with. And uh, I'm just, I'm just extremely proud of him and, uh, and able to continue to focus on basketball and make that his livelihood in, uh, in, in, you know, back home in Australia. So really, really happy to see this news that uh, Keanu Pinder is doing well and that he's going to be playing for the Australian national team in the World Cup games in uh, in Australia, so that's that to me is uh, is it, it's that's one of those stories like you're just kind of going through stuff, going through things. You see this, you're like, oh man, that's fantastic! I'm so proud of that guy. You know, I wish I had his number just to reach out and just text him and be like, hey man, proud of you. Do your best. You know, you're always a wildcat. We're always supporting you here. You know, one of those types of things. But uh, good for him. Real, real happy to see that news. 
not exactly sure what kind of impact this is going to have on the NCAA and on basketball, but the NCAA Playing Rules Oversight Panel approved yesterday that they will now allow officials to call a Class B technical foul to players who flop or players who are faking being fouled. Now, before this, they were you know players were issued a warning. They get a flop warning. The you know the officials would come up to the uh, you know, the scores table, do the you know the flopping motion. You know, there's a you know, warning for this player for a flop, uh, and then if that player did it again, then it would be a technical. Now they can just start assessing technicals, Class B technicals, just right off the bat. What is a Class B technical? Well, it's defined as in college basketball an administrative technical foul. Um, wait a second, that's not it. There it is. A Class B technical foul can be called if an illegal act if if an illegal action takes place, but no physical contact or unsportsmanlike contact occurs. So basically, the definition of flopping. <laughs> so, uh, and of course, you know. The internet was all abuzz with uh, Duke games are going to last forever. Duke's, you know, done because they are the floppingest floppers that have ever flopped. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When we return, Tony Larusa, manager of the Chicago White Sox, made a decision yesterday that has a lot of people scratching their heads. According to him, it was the right move to make. We'll talk about that next, right here on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show here on this Friday. We've got some football to talk coming up in a little bit, but we're going to talk some baseball right now. This is this is going to scream at the at the analytic at the, the analytics nerds who want to continue to take over the game of baseball, and uh, you know I try to take every opportunity to slam that aspect of of Major League Baseball as often as I can. Yesterday, in a game between the White Sox and the Dodgers, in the sixth inning of a uh, you know close game at the time, it was six five, the uh, the Dodgers were were down six five rather um, in the sixth inning, and the White Sox pitcher is you know he's o two on Trey Turner. Trey Turner, obviously excellent player, really, you know, fantastic ball player for the Dodgers. It's o two, and Freddie Freeman is on first base after getting an RBI single. Now the pitcher, the uh, the White Sox pitcher, I think it's Bennett Souza. Bounces a ball at the plate, kind of squirts away, and Trey Turner is able to advance to second. So now there's a runner on second with a one-two count. Tony Larusa from the White Sox dugout then says, uh, "We want to give him an intentional pass." And like Trey Turner, like turned around on the umpire, like, "What do I like? Am I do I am I supposed to go to first base?" Like he literally, legitimately didn't know. Like he was so taken, you know, aback from it all that he wasn't sure exactly what to do. The umpire was like, yes, take your base. You have been walked. And you can hear people in the stadium like, he's got two strikes, Tony. He's got two strikes. Apparently, Tony LaRusso had zero to give on that one. After the game, uh, well, first of all, before, before any of that happened, so Trey Turner's on first now. It's 6-5 White Sox. Max Muncy steps to the plate. 
Max Muncy, who has, hasn't been great this year. I think he's only hit three home runs and has been struggling quite a bit early on in the, uh, in the season. Of course, to, you know, Trey Turner's been on fire all year. Max Muncy then deposits a 2-2 pitch into the left field bleachers for a three-run bomb, and as he's rounding third, begins to bark and make some motions at the, at the White Sox dugout. Basically like, you walked him to get to me, that's what you get. And I can uh, listen. I totally understand why he was fired up. So he delivers that ball as a three-run homer. Dodgers take the lead. It's eight-six, and they would never uh, they would never look back and go on to win that game. Now, after the game, the seventy-seven-year-old manager Tony Larusa, who's been around forever, and you know, aside from all the jokes about his DUI and all these things, he's just he's been around a long-ass time and. This might be the indicator that it's time for him to go, and and I'm gonna I'll, I'll say why in just a moment. He said after the game, "quote Is there some question about whether that was a good move or not? Do you know what Trey Turner hits against left-handed pitching with 0-1 count or two strikes? Do you know what Muncie hits with two strikes against a left-handed pitcher? Is it really a question? We had an open base. Muncie happened to be the guy behind him, and that's a better matchup." If somebody disagrees, that's the beauty of this game. They're welcome to it, but it wasn't a tough call. So Larusa, who has been managing baseball for 50 years, okay, if, you know, for the most part, looked at the basically decided to shun any type of of what real baseball acumen would look like, and you would never ever issue an intentional walk to a player with two strikes on them. Ever. But he said, oh, no, now that we have a base open, we're going to go ahead and put him on there because he's a 254 career hitter with a 1-2 count against lefties. And Max Muncy is hitting 100 points below that against lefties. What? So you're going to look at a two-strike count and say, there's a hundred points hitting difference. A difference between two fifty four. Max Muncy's hitting one fifty against against lefties uh, this season. <laughs> that's the, that's what caused you to. I mean, you really like in that moment. You said, "I'll take those hundred and four points over the most obvious decision in baseball, which would be to be to not intentionally walk a batter who already has two strikes and was o two before your pitcher tried to get cute and bounce one, uh, bounce a slider two feet in front of the plate. Wh- what? Uh, listen, like I said, I have, I have a, a good friend who works in that organization. He is, uh, uh, has been a member of that team for a, quite a while, quite a while, several, several years. I, I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I, I, I did not, because I found out about this yesterday afternoon when it happened. I did not, for the life of me, want to send him a text message and be like, WTF, bro. <laughs> like, because I'm just, I'm not that dude. I'm sure he was going through enough pain and probably getting enough text messages from people. But I'm sure that I'll probably see him, you know, sometime soon. He he, he kind of bounces around. He's not always with the team. Um, and uh, I'm sure I'll see him or talk to him at some point here real soon and just be like, I don't know. I, I just, this is where the analytics side of baseball is absolutely driving me nuts. The fact that it takes fifteen pe- a collection of 15 people sitting around a table to come up with Dave Roberts' lineup for that game 
already irks me to no end. But then to see Tony LaRussa, a guy who has won world championships and and managed baseball the right way, has been overcome by the feeling that you have to say, all right, based on his numbers against lefties in a two-strike count, we're going to walk him. Because he hits 254 and it's 254 in that situation? You walked a guy for a 254 batting average? You would never do that. If he came up in one of the most crucial moments in a game, unless the guy behind him was abysmal, you would never you would not intentionally walk a 254 hitter at any point. But in this situation, Against lefties, he's 104 points higher than Max Muncie is. Give me a break, man. This is so – it is so unnerving because, you, you know, this. and I wasn't watching the game, I, but I was. my phone started going crazy when it happened because I have a bunch of Dodger fan friends that like to hit me up. It, like I'm just like, wait, what? So I immediately – had to start, you know, finding the information on this. Like, this can't be, this can't be right. They, they've, they've got to have something wrong here. They're Dodger fans. I've understand they've, they've probably been hit over the head a few times. Uh, well, like I have now. But, but, but uh, I'm like, I'm like, nah, nah. There's, there's something wrong here. Tony Larusa wouldn't do that. That's just stupid. Like nobody on earth would do that. Yep, sure enough, there it is. Walked a player with two strikes on. I. I, I, this is the, it's getting out of hand. We have now we now have managers who have been in Major League Baseball for sixty years almost that are now deciding that these analytics are going to dictate the game. And I'll be honest with you, I listen. I hate the Dodgers organization with every cell in my body. Every cell in my body is nauseous. Every time they win or something great happens to that organization. I am glad Max Muncy hit that three-run bomb yesterday. To send that message, take your analytics and shove them where the sun don't shine. Because those types of numbers and those types of decisions have no place in baseball. None. Stop it. It is absolutely maddening how ridiculous it has become. Just knowing all the other things that go on behind the scenes in Major League Baseball that are analytics-driven is bad enough for me. It, it, it boggles my mind enough, and it causes me to not watch the damn game anymore. And then seeing crap like this yesterday just makes me want to stop watching until somebody with half a brain that actually understands what the game of baseball is about decides to take over and lay out an example for everyone else to follow. The same example that had been going on for nearly a century in Major League Baseball that was the proven commodity, the, you know, the, 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 the proven winner in baseball and how you play the game. Oh, I, I, I'm, I, honestly, I, I'm glad Max Muncy hit that home run because that was the stupidest decision. That was just it, – it, there's, there's so many adjectives I could use. <laughs> like It's just – he deserved it. He deserved it. Just saying. And, and, and I, wish, I wish Max Muncy had been more demonstrative rounding third, barking at their dugout. You're a moron. All right. We'll take a timeout. 
LeBron says he wants to buy an NBA team and put it in a city that uh, would need expansion. We'll talk about that next here on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. So LeBron James, whose net worth recently just peaked at uh, $1 billion, according to Forbes magazine, has been talking about this for years. In fact, I mean, he's already bought in. He's, you know, he's part owner of a couple of, of professional franchises. He's part owner of the Boston Red Sox and Liverpool FC, a, a company, you know, same company owns them. He's now a, a member of that company, which makes him a part owner of those two professional franchises. But now, LeBron, after a few years of saying that he plans to own an NBA team at at the end of his playing career, when you know, once he's done, he has disclosed the information uh, of of the location of where that team will be located. Quote in an episode from his uh, his talk show, The Shop, he said uh, this week, "I want a team in Vegas, and I, I want to put the team in Vegas." Is what he said. So the goal is to own an NBA franchise, and it will be sooner than later. Now, LeBron, who's 37, entering his 20th NBA season this year, um, it's illegal to own a team while you're playing uh, as a as a as a team uh, or as a as a player in the league. So, obviously, not going to happen while he's playing. He still says he has plans to play with his son Bronny. <clears throat> he wants to play on the same NBA team as his son. I'm sure he'll be able to manipulate that some way, however he wants. The billion dollars he's got right now in net worth is not enough to buy an NBA franchise. I'll just put that out there right now. The last NBA team to sell was the T-Wolves. They sold last year for 1.5. Now, that's keeping the team in Minnesota. If you were to buy a team, because that's, that's what has to happen, because Adam Silver isn't expanding the league. They're, like, they're, they're going to stay at 30 teams for a while. Like They're, they're comfortable with 30. They're not going to move beyond 30 right now. Adam Silver has said, you know, oh, yeah, of, of course we have plans to expand. It's just not going to happen right now. It, or maybe not even in the next 10, 12 years. So the idea here is that LeBron would have to buy a team and then move them to Las Vegas. Now, Adam Silver did say, you know, give some, you know, give a, a, an endorsement to the city of Las Vegas, essentially. Uh, you know, he, he basically said, um, you know, that Vegas is a wonderful market, I think is what he said. Um, and then he talked about that the NBA, NBA has moved their summer league to Las Vegas. So, obviously, they're interested. They've had the All-Star game there before. Obviously, it would be a, a, a city of interest for them. The NBA has got to be just going gaga over this. I mean, this is like a dream come true for them to have – LeBron James already mentioning that he wants to buy a franchise and move it to Las Vegas. I mean, there are, there are several squandering franchises in the NBA right now that are having difficulty finding traction, drawing fans, getting attendance numbers, getting the right people in place. Now, I'm not saying that LeBron as an owner would be successful because, I mean, you know, the coaching job that he's done the last 10 years or so hasn't really produced a whole lot of results either the GM slash coach slash player job that he's been running in the NBA and his teams have not uh, produced the championships that he has claimed they would. So I'm not sure that being an owner would be, but the NBA has got to be all over this. Like, 
yes, please, soon, buy a team, move it to Vegas, please, they would love that. I would love it. I think it would be great, too. Fine with me. More entertainment. All right. That's going to conclude our number one. Hour number two coming up. We're going to talk some NFL. We'll talk some college football and whatever else happens to be hanging around out there. Hope you guys are hanging around. we still got those Diamondbacks tickets to give away. Coming up in hour number two, quick little two-minute break. We'll toss it to ESPN for a sports center. We'll be right back here for the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. This is ESPN Tucson. 1490 KFFN AM Tucson. K285DL1049FM Tucson. And KMXC HD4 Tucson.